We are looking at this evening at Nehemiah chapter 8, and the title of our study this evening is God's Word Brings Revival. God's Word Brings Revival. If you notice what has gone by is that they have come back from uh, Babylon, Nehemiah has come back from Babylon, helped them to reconstruct the wall. There were a lot of oppositions, but they still were able to complete it in 52 days. And chapter 7 ended with a celebration that took place. Okay, And in chapter 8, if you notice, verse 1 says, When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So, so far, the first seven chapters have been you know, speaking about Nehemiah. Now we have Ezra that is introduced over here. And you know, if you notice, this particular day when they met at that place was going to be a turning point in their lives. In fact, Derek Kedna, one of the commentators, writes and says, this day was to prove a turning point because from now on, the Jews would be predominantly a people of the book, a people of the book. So these uh, next two chapters are speaking about the impact of God's word in their lives. It brought about revival. It also brought about repentance. And chapter 8 is speaking about how revival came in because of the uh, keenness of the people to study the word of God. Now, uh, I wonder what would you have thought about a service that had about six hours of Bible reading and preaching continuously at the people's request. And during this whole time, the people stood. They didn't sit down. And the next day, they came back for even more. That is what we learn in chapter 8. Here was a people group who were hungry for God's word. Here was a people group who was willing to listen to what God had to tell them. So it says in verse 2, So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of both men and women, and all who were able to understand. And he read it aloud from daybreak till noon, as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the word of God. So a strong emphasis on God's word is a primary mark of spiritual revival, on spiritual renewal. We see this in the Old Testament when Judah was in a under the uh, godless reign of uh, King Manasseh, as well as his son Ammon. Ammon's son Josiah began to seek the Lord when he was just 16. And then he began to institute spiritual reforms. Then Hilkiah the priest found a copy of God's law, and Josiah called the nation to repentance. And as a result, Revival came about because God's word was obeyed. And this also happened during the Reformation, isn't it? 
even during the Reformation, the heart of revival was God's word. So Nehemiah chapter 8 is teaching us four marks of spiritual revival, four marks of spiritual revival. In other words, if you and I want to have spiritual revival and renewal in our lives, what should we be doing in a relationship with God's word? Number one, for spiritual renewal, God's people must read his word. God's people must read his word. Remember, at this particular time, they didn't have printed copies of the book. And they asked Ezra to bring the book of the law, the books of Moses. And it would not have been that they had many copies. But Ezra, being a person who knew the law, and some people say, in fact, he had memorized the entire law. So that he was able in a position to explain it as well. So they have asked Ezra to get that book of the law because they recognize that this is not just a Moses book. This is actually a book that God has commanded for them to read. Now, remember that day they didn't have any copies, but their keenness was so much that they were willing to stand up for six hours and listen to the reading as well as the explanation of the word. Ask ourselves this evening. How many copies of the Bible do we have? You know, once the printed copies came in, people had more copies, but they started maybe reading less. Okay? Somebody has said that the strength of a church will be in direct proportion to the number of people in that church who read and study God's written word. There's a definitely a strong link between the reading and studying of his word and revival in our hearts, in our lives, and in the church. So that's the first key thing. We must be willing to read the word. If you notice in Psalm 119, a psalm which speaks about you know, every verse in, the, in that particular psalm speaks about the word of God. Nine times, nine times there's a link between the word of God and revival. The word of God and revival. So the first thing we must ask ourselves this evening is, do you read the word? Okay, reading the word is important. And here they were willing to stand and listen to the word being read. Do you have plans in which, you know, you read through the scripture, you know, in a chronological manner or in a book by book, instead of just reading bits and pieces? Are you known as a person of the book, one who reads God's word? Secondly, for spiritual renewal, God's people must reverently hear his word, hear his word. Now, reading is one thing, okay? Hearing with ears is one thing, but having ears that work does not guarantee that we really hear, isn't it? That's why Jesus said in Mark's gospel chapter four, he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And also in Luke chapter eight and verse 18, he said, take care how you listen. For whoever has, to him shall be given more, and whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has shall be taken away from him. Think of the strong words over there. Jesus is saying, if you're willing to listen to my word, then I will teach you. I will give you more. I will add more. But if you're not willing to listen to my word, if you're not willing to hear my word, then even what you have will be taken away. The people in this chapter, if you notice, they were individuals who were 
attentive. They were individuals who revered the word because as soon as Sena Ezra brought the book up, they bowed down. They didn't bow down to Ezra or to the scroll. They bowed down in worship before God, recognizing that this is God's word. Okay. So what's our attitude to his word? Not only do we read his word, do we read it with the attitude that this is God's word? So every day when we open the word, do we recognize this is God speaking to us? If we approach God's word with that attitude, then we are willing to recognize that he is going to speak. The God Almighty is going to speak to, his, to me through his word. And as a result, you approach the word reverently, listening attentively. Thirdly, for spiritual renewal, God's word must also be taught. It must also be taught. It is one thing to read and to listen, but it is also has to be taught. And you must also be a teacher of God's word. If you notice, the Bible speaks about it in verse 7 and 8, where you know, uh, Ezra and his people, there were seven on one side and six on the other hand, you know, they translated the word to them. Now, when you're speaking about translation, it was not as how we do, would do translation in India with so many different languages. But when you speak about translation, it means basically they translated the word in a way that people could understand. Maybe, you know, because people you now spoke Aramaic, whether they translated it from Hebrew to Aramaic, we do not know. But definitely translation, the word that is used here, specifically speaks about making things clear. And you know, they did it step by step. Ezra would have you know, taken a passage, spoken about it, and the assistants that were there, maybe they met in small groups, or maybe right from the main podium itself, they began to teach them, explain it to them step by step. So God's word must be taught. Okay. In order to have you know, sound teaching, you know, there are two things that are essential. Number one, sound Bible teaching must be accurate, must be clear, and must be applied to life. It must be accurate, it must be clear, and it must be applied to life. When you say accurate, you know, we need to you know, study and preach what the Bible is actually saying. Do not read things into Scripture which is not there. So it has to be what the Bible says. It has to be clear. It has to be in a way that it is easily understood by the common man. And that is the whole purpose of a Bible teacher, to make the scriptures clear, translated into their own language in terms of their culture, their background, and their spiritual levels of maturity, so that they can understand what the Bible actually says. But more important than the accuracy and the clarity, it must also be applied. It must also be applied. So if you are studying the word as, a, as an individual or as you are teaching the word, we must make sure that these three things are important because this is what comprises of sound Bible teaching. Oftentimes today, the teaching that goes on, it could be wrong teaching because people read into the scripture what is not there and it is not clear and definitely no application to life or maybe wrong applications which have been derived not inductively but deductively. Secondly, sound Bible teaching requires commitment. 
commitment on the part of the teacher as well as on the persons who are being taught. If you notice here, they stood for six hours and Ezra, along with his you know, co-workers, as it were, were also committed to do that job. So an individual who is teaching the word must take time and effort to study and to prepare. And if you notice, so far, Nehemiah has been one in who is involved in the building up of the wall. Now he recognizes, hey, now that may not be his gifting to preach and to teach. So he invites Ezra along. And that is so very, very important, isn't it? He takes a back seat, as it were, to Ezra, who was skilled in the law of Moses, who had set his heart to study it and to teach it. That's what another book of Ezra, chapter 7, verses 6 and 10 tells us about Ezra. So here were Ezra and Nehemiah, who was a good team together. Nehemiah did a lot of the administration part of work, and he called Ezra in to teach. Not everybody can be teachers. So if you are not a teacher, find somebody who will be able to teach in your local groups. Number four, for spiritual renewal, God's people must respond to the word. Respond in terms of an application. Knowledge apart from obedience always leads to pride. Knowledge apart from obedience always leads to pride. So if you can, if you are only saying, hey, I've studied the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, I know this, I know that, I know that. And you can you know, quote scripture or you can quote incidents and you can you know, quote doctrines, you know, all that is just knowledge, okay? Only knowledge will only puff you up, but there has to be application. There has to be responding in obedience. What did these individuals do? Let's look at a couple of things that how they responded. First of all, if you notice, they repented. They repented. Verse 9 tells us the people wept when they heard and understood God's law. That would be a normal response in a renewal case, isn't it? When an individual has opened himself up to the word of God, recognize this is God speaking. And when God speaks to us through his word, then the word becomes like a mirror to us. We are able to see our true state as it really is. We can stand before somebody else and say, hey, I'm all right and nothing is wrong with me. But when we stand before a holy God, we recognize how sinful we are. So the more we come into the light of God's word, the more we realize our own sinfulness and our response has to be repentance. Secondly, the response would also be joy. The response would also be joy. Why joy? Because when, in, when we come in repentance before God, God says, I have forgiven you. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So there is forgiveness that comes in when we truly respond in repentance before God. As a result, there is joy in our hearts. And that leads us to good deeds. That leads us to good deeds. In verse 10, Ezra and Nehemiah reminded the people to send portions from the part of the sacrifices that they could eat to those who had nothing. In other words, that's a change of uh, now, uh, direction. Before a person is, uh, uh, has uh, responded to God's word, he's only thinking about himself. But when he sees himself in the light of God's word, God begins to speak to him and say, hey, you know, 
I've called you to be a blessing to others. I've called you to serve others. And then a person begins to move outside of himself. As the scripture says, we are not saved by good deeds, but we are saved unto good deeds. Number four, the response to his word is obedience. Response to his word is obedience. When it is in 17, when they read the book of the law, they recognize, hey, we are supposed to keep the festival of booths. We have not kept it at all. And as a result, they say, we must put things right. And if you notice, that happens time and time again in the Old Testament times, isn't it? When they found the book of the law, they found, hey, this sacrifice we have not done. This is the type of response that God wants. And as a result, in the light of what God expects of us in his word, we change course, we change direction. And that is what obedience is. And fifthly, there is worship. There is worship. The festival of booths lasted for one whole week and every day consisted of more reading of God's law and which culminated in verse 18 with a final assembly meeting together in worship. Okay, <clears throat> Some people come to church with a reverence for God and his word saying, teach me, I want to know more. And they are the ones who are ready to respond to the word. Some people may attend a Bible study for the sake of attending a Bible study. Some people may go to church you know, because they have to go to church. But it is only those individuals who have a reverence for God and want to respond to his word. They are the ones who will profit from the teaching. Others will come to the same service or the same Bible study with sin in their hearts that they don't want to deal with. And what will happen? They hear from one year, push it out from the other year. Life is still the same. But if you want to be renewed, then we must have the right response to God's word. Let's move on and ask ourselves, what are the characteristics of a genuine, authentic Bible exposition? Especially in today's world, we need to be individuals who are true to scripture and not only understanding the Bible for ourselves, but also in teaching it to others. There are three simple aspects of you know, good Bible exposition, which is observation, interpretation, and application. So every time you read the word for yourself in your you know, devotions or in your personal study, use these three simple principles that you find over here. Observe what God's word tells you. Then work on the interpretation. What does it really mean then? What does it mean now? and then look at application point. Don't just jump into the application and say, I know this passage, this is what it means, this is how I have to apply it. No, start from the observation. So number one, we need an accurate observation of the word. We need an accurate observation of the word. If you notice in, our, in chapter eight, we find that they all came as one man. They all came as one man and they stood listening from daybreak until noon. This was their keenness in listening what Ezra has to read and teach from the word. Would we be willing to not just stand and listen, maybe even to sit and you know, listen for six straight hours to a Bible study, you know, and you know, do a personal study as well for that period of time? Okay. The key question when you're thinking about an observation is the basic questions of who, what, when, where, why. 
Who are the people that are mentioned over here? What happened over here? When did it happen? Why did it happen? <laughs> what are the lessons that I can learn from this? And if you can put these four questions you know, and look at the answers for those questions you know, in that particular passage that you are reading and rereading and rereading, that is how you will be able to observe. The difference between reading and studying is like a difference between drifting in a boat and rowing towards a destination. Only reading is just sitting in a boat, you're just going aimlessly, you say, yes, I went in the boat, okay, I read my Bible. But studying is actually in a particular direction. You are looking at the word, allowing the word to speak for itself, allowing God to speak to you through his word. So in order to read the and have an accurate observation, what did they do? Number one, they read the scripture silently and out loud. They read the scripture silently and out loud. That's what the scripture tells us, okay? So they, and this is a simple principle that we must also be applying. Read it silently. If it helps you, read it loud, you know, and read it plenty of times, you know. Not just the first glance to say, I've read my Bible, but when you're thinking about studying the Bible, it is reading and rereading and rereading and rereading. G. Campbell Morgan, one of the well-known preachers of yesteryear, says, you know, before he preaches a sermon, he will read that passage at least 50 times. Okay? The importance of reading the word. So if you really want to study the word, we must be individuals who are paying close attention to words in that particular passage that we are studying. Don't miss the significant ones. If you don't understand the meaning, take out a dictionary. Find out the meaning of that. Think the words through. Understand what that word really means. Compare it maybe with you know, another passage of scripture which uses the same word. John Stott refers to the importance of concentrating on words. is like a dog worrying over a bone. It is not just a casual attention, but it is an intensive preoccupation with words. Is that how we read our Bibles? Or do we just skim, to it, skim through it and say, I have read it. Studying in, involves observation, reading it, rereading it, trying to you know, find out key thoughts. And if we really do this, you'll be amazed at how many things and you know, how much truths or how many words you have overlooked because you thought you knew the passage. So make sure that you read the passage, reread the passage. Secondly, the people had an extraordinary reverence for the word. They had an extraordinary reverence for the word. When Ezra opened the, another book and as he opened it, the people all stood up. And Ezra praised the God and the people also joined in the praise and they bowed and worshipped him. And I worshipped the Lord, not Ezra or the book, but they worshipped God. Okay. Now we must remember, we don't worship the Bible. Okay? The Bible is not like a magic book that we can put under our pillows and think that it will you know, keep us safe. Now, reverence for God's word is not just kissing the Bible. Reverence for God's word is recognizing you know, that this is God's book. And as a result, we respect it in reading and applying it into our lives as the source of final authority. That is what reverence for God's word would mean. 
It is not just the physical or the verbal saying that I revere God's word. But reverence for God's word would imply that I accept this as the authority of God and I'm willing to accept what God's word says in my life. Number three, they gave it their full concentration. They gave it their full concentration. Unless we know what the text really says, we cannot move into the interpretation. So important thing is observation. Keep observing, keep reading, keep rereading. Pick out all the words, words that you don't understand. If you want to get to the Hebrew and the Greek meaning to get a better understanding of what the original word really meant over there, to get the full pulse and the feel of that particular verse. Secondly, we need accurate interpretation of the word. We need accurate interpretation of the word. If you miss God's meaning of the passage, then you no longer have God's word. If you notice, you, know, you would have heard about how people interpret you know, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Okay? And you know, individuals have come up with all sorts of interpretations to say the donkey represents this. He went from Jerusalem to Jericho. This means this. And he gave them two tablets. This means this. You know, he poured oil. Oil is the Holy Spirit. All sorts of different interpretations. But that was not the purpose of Jesus telling that parable, isn't it? He told them that incident to specify who is my neighbor. So if you don't understand what is the original meaning of that, you know, in the context of that, and derive some other meaning which you want to read into it, that is not biblical you know, exposition. That's not right interpretation. That is what is called as a deductive study. You're deducing it. You've already come to the conclusions. You're only looking at a passage of scripture to read into it. So. Interpretation involves you know, finding out how did the original author intend the words to be understood. Sometimes it may have only one meaning, sometimes it may have different applications as well. So we need to first find out what did this passage mean then, how did it apply then, then the significance of this and how can it apply today. So first important thing is get an accurate interpretation. Get an accurate interpretation. To get the accurate interpretation, again, you need to read it repeated, you know, repeatedly. Keep asking questions. What did it mean then? You know, what has gone before? What has gone before? What's the verse before? What's the verse after? Find out the context of that particular verse. Find out the context of that particular incident or passage because all this is so crucial in interpretation otherwise you'll just be pulling one verse out of context which is not correct interpretation secondly translate the scriptures into terms people can understand if you notice today we have so many different different translations of scripture which uh, now people have sat down and translated in order to uh, make it in a, in a language that today's people can understand. Okay? It is not that they've changed the words in scripture, but what they have done is made it in a way that the English that we use today, you know, the English that was used maybe 100 or 200 years ago was different. So the English that is used today is with the words that could be understood. So you have different translations for that so that the normal man who is not used to the King James translation maybe 
is able to understand what that passage means. So when you're speaking about interpretation, we are asking, you know, how can we translate the meaning of this word or this you know, situation into today's context in a way that people can understand today so that a person doesn't say, hey, the Bible is not for today. It was a book that was written for people so many years ago. It doesn't apply today. No, the Bible is relevant today. So an accurate interpretation is helping people to understand how this book is still relevant for people even today. Okay. <clears throat> Number three, we need practical applications of the word. We need practical applications of the word. Observation, interpretation, then you have application. Studying the word of God is not the goal. For example, when we've been doing book studies, okay, the purpose of the book study is not to say, I finished studying the book of Esther, I finished studying the book of Nehemiah, okay? That is not the purpose. The purpose is that through these studies, we will become more like Christ in character. If we do not make that as a part of our application, then you will find there will be no purpose in Bible study. Then knowledge only will make you proud. What is the response of the people? The response of the people to the preached word was revival, was revival. Verse 9 tells us that Nehemiah was the governor and Ezra the priest and scribe and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord. Do not mourn or weep for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. Why were they weeping? Because they applied God's word to their lives. They heard the word, they were convicted of their sin, and then as a result, it brought weeping in their lives. The word of God always reveals sin in our lives, isn't it? Okay. A spirit of conviction is a wonderful thing when the heart is broken in recognition of our own complete failure. Now, the, all that will happen only when we allow the word to speak. When we recognize this is God's word speaking, not just a book, not just printed page. But when we believe this is God speaking, and then God speaks to our heart, the Spirit of God works out conviction in us. Secondly, in our, we need to apply the Word of God where we live. When we say where you live, it's not in a location, but where you live in your hopes, in your dreams, in your ambitions, in your frustrations, in your joys, in your personal growth, in, a, in whatever situations you are in today, apply the word of God. And the beauty of God's word is that the same passage could have in a, uh, been applied in your life maybe five years or ten years ago in a particular situation and you recognized you know, how close God was to you. And maybe that same passage, God can use you in a different situation to teach you different lessons as well. So apply the word of God to where you live, where your situation is right now, in what situation you're in right now. Thirdly, when the word is applied, then it brings healing. Then it brings healing. You know, Ezra and Nehemiah told them, this day is holy to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. Then he said to them, go eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared for this day is holy to the Lord. Okay, It brought healing in their lives, isn't it? And that's such a beautiful thing. When God's word you know, is able to correct situations in our lives, 
when God's word is able to take us from despondency and despair and bring about healing in our lives. And then when the spirit of God you know, uh, brings healing in our lives, then we move from uh, mourning to rejoicing. The joy of the Lord then becomes our strength. Number four, the word must be obeyed. The word must be obeyed. If you notice, the Bible tells us, you know, the next day, they again came to hear the word so that they might gain insight, so that they might gain insight. This is how keen they were to apply the word, okay? They did not say, okay, I've applied this passage now, that's perfectly okay, now I don't have to worry about the rest of it. No, they wanted to know more so that they can apply more. And that should be our keen desire. We are studying God's word more and more so that we can apply it more and more in our lives, so that when it is applied in our lives, it brings healing in our lives. And when there's healing in our lives, the joy of the Lord takes over. Finally, number five, revival breaks out in Judah. The festival of boots, which they had not kept for a long, long time, you know, they were able to bring back again. What is the festival of boots? You know, it was a reminder. It was a reminder to them to say, hey, this is not your final dwelling place. It was like a, a literal reminder, stay in wood, stay in tents, as it were, to remind yourself, this is not your permanent dwelling place. It was a reminder to God's people that this is not our permanent home. Our journey is that of a pilgrim. It was C.S. Lewis who said, our kind heavenly father has provided many wonderful inns for us along our journey. But he takes special care to see that we never mistake any of them for home. God is good to us. He's given us good dwelling places. But let's remember, this is not our final home. And that was a lesson that they learned by asking to say, hey, we have not kept the boots. You know, what had happened in their lives? They said, this is the land that God has given to us. This is ours. You know? And as a result, they forgot the eternal home. <laughs> they began to build their own houses, paneled houses, you know. They began to live more comfortably. But when this revival came in, they recognized, hey, we have forgotten that thought. This is not our final home. Yes, God has brought us back from you know, Babylon and brought us back to this home of Jerusalem. But this is not our ho final home. God has definitely a future in store for us. And that is a perspective that will change. Oftentimes, we can get so caught up with this world, but when the revival comes into our lives, when the word is applied into our lives, we see things now from a different perspective altogether. So let's look at some practical applications and principles that we can learn from this chapter. Number one, accept the authority of the scriptures over your life. You cannot have a great character unless it is firmly established upon God's word. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And in 1 John 2, 3 to 6, we read, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. 
How will this happen? The scripture is very clear. If we say we are his believers then, and we belong to him, then we will keep his commandments. And how will we keep his commandments if we are not willing to have the authority of the scripture over our lives? Number two, there is no spiritual growth without obedience to the revealed word. There are no spiritual growth without obedience to the revealed word. It is the obedience to God's word that brings about rejoicing. Oswald Chambers put it well when he said, we are at this moment as close to God as we really choose to be. We are at this moment as close to God as we really choose to be. True, there are times when we would like to know a deeper intimacy. But when it comes to the point, we are not prepared to pay the price involved. So if this is your heart's longing, Lord, I want to come to know you in a more deeper way, then you would be willing to study the word and allow the word to be applied, obey the word, because that is what will bring us intimacy with God. Number three, the starting point for any national revival is a return to the word of God, is a return to the word of God. Just as much as these individuals came together and said, hey, Ezra, please pick up the book and read to, uh, to us. Revival coming back to a nation is also centered around, not on an experience, but on saying, we want to get back to the book and see what God is asking us to do and living and obeying what God is telling us to do. <clears throat> Number four, we need a renewed emphasis on biblical preaching on biblical preaching, not motivational preaching, not motivational talks. That is not going to revive a person, but it is biblical preaching that will bring true revival. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones put it across this way when he said, a revival of true preaching has always heralded the great movements in the history of the church. You know, when revival and reformation has come to the church, they have always led to great and notable periods of the greatest preaching that the church has ever known. Would we look to the Lord and ask God to make sure that we are students of the word? And would we also ask him that you know, we would, uh, there would be a return in our land to biblical preaching as well? Couple of application questions from this passage. Number one, how can a non-studious type develop a hunger to read and study God's word? Some person may say, look, I'm not a studious guy. Now, the Bible is too big a book, and I, I can't really study this. Now, the question would be, if you really you know, love the word, then you would study it. If you really love a particular subject, no matter how thick the book is, you will study it. If you know the effect of what that study will help you to do, you will be willing to do it. So it's not a question of studious or non-studious type, but it's a question of how much you have a hunger. Number two, how can we develop the kind of responsive hearts that are needed to profit from God's word? Okay, What is the type of responsive heart? A heart that will listen and obey. A heart that will be willing to observe, interpret, and apply. A heart that will be in a longing to keep his commandments because we really love God. Number three. How can we guard ourselves from the spiritual pride that often accompanies knowledge? If we see ourselves being puffed up in, a, in your Bible knowledge and no application, be careful. That is spiritual pride. And finally, 
jot down one spiritual goal, one spiritual goal that you could work on in response to this message. We have learned this in our evening about the importance of the reading, the hearing, the studying, the application of God's word. Okay. And even as you have done this, you know, the importance of it, you know, find out what change, you know, you would you do in your response to God's word, in your response to reading or studying God's word or preaching God's word. What is one goal that you could work on in response to what you have learned this evening?